Hi, this is Zach Vitiello, the Creative Director of Vitaly. Welcome to Spotlight, our platform to shine attention on the talented individuals we have the pleasure of working with here at Vitaly, whether they're a photographer, an artist, a musician, or anything in between. Today, we're joined by fashion and celebrity wardrobe stylist Steph Major. An alumni of the prestigious Parsons School of Design in New York City, Steph cut her teeth here in Toronto before relocating recently to London, England. On top of the playful and gorgeous editorial fashion work Steph is known for, she also works closely with musical artists Sean Mendes, Ali X, Alan Raymond, and Jesse Reyes. Her work has been featured in Vogue, Interview, and Paper Magazine, and we're very fortunate to have her on the line all the way from London. Steph, thank you for joining me today. Hi, Zach. So happy to be chatting with you. So let me just jump right into it then, Steph. Why fashion? You know, that's actually a really interesting question because when I look back, some of my earliest like influences didn't actually come like from the fashion world. I mean, like I do have memories of myself like getting dressed up in my mom's clothes. But one of my favorite memories as a kid growing up was going to the ROM with my dad and my sister. He used to take us there pretty much every month. And I know this sounds crazy, but one of my favorite exhibits there was the minerals. Do you remember? Do you know the minerals? The minerals and the rocks exhibit? I only remember the Batcave. Oh, really? I used to love the Batcave too. But I feel like any person uh, that grew up in Toronto <laughs> remembers the Batcave at the Rome. Yeah, um, I was kind of, <laughs> I was kind of really obsessed with the minerals, and because honestly, I would look at it and think like these structures that exist in nature, like how do they have these incredible supernatural colors? They would be like, you know, like neon pink and like a bright green or like an acid yellow. And I just would be so fascinated. And I just loved color so much. So I think that's probably why I took an interest in art later on. And then in my teens, you know, when we had an opportunity to go visit Europe, we'd, you know, go to all like the art galleries and the churches and the museums. And I remember just getting really up close and personal with all the pictures, you know, like the framed pieces of art. And I would just like stare at them and like investigate every little detail. And yeah, I just like think from there, it naturally formed into like this love of clothing. And I would stare at editorials the same way I used to, you know, look at a piece of art. So those were my, my memories of like understanding and really appreciating fashion. It kind of just came from like art and design, which were, were, you know, a bigger part of my identity growing up. How did you know that New York and Parsons in particular, the Parsons School of Design there was going to be kind of the right choice for you. And, and how did you prepare yourself to get into such a, you know, a well-renowned and prestigious school? Back then, I didn't actually think that you can like have a career in fashion. I always like kind of pictured it as like a way of getting accepted into like a fraternity or sorority. Like it was akin to that, like, you know, like I needed to get like hazed or something. And then just like three people got in. It makes, I know that doesn't make any sense, but I saw it as being that sort of like members only thing. Like it was reserved for like an exclusive elite group of people. And I just didn't like know how to be a part of it. I'd always like kind of be like, who are those people working there? You know, like, who are these guys? Like, how do I get in? You know, I knew of Parsons reputation in the fashion world. And if I was going to go in this direction, I was going to go big. You know, I was like obsessed with New York at the time. Well, I've always been obsessed with New York. So there was really no other option. Like if I didn't get in, I was I was just going to test my luck some other way. What did you do to prepare to get into to a school like that? Obviously, they would have a, you know, a pretty rigorous portfolio examination, I would assume. 
so no, so it didn't necessarily have to do a portfolio examination. So the associate's degree that I applied for was like open to anybody who wanted to pursue fashion. But what you had to do was like there was a an entry letter that you had to write like a statement of intent, and then you had to come up with a marketing campaign. So you got tested on like you had to basically do like a project before you got accepted into it. When you say a, a letter of intent or a statement of intent, do you mean like they asked you what you hope to achieve in fashion or? Yeah, like what what was my intention of getting an education at person? So for me, like I kind of took the route of, of presenting myself as a person who really wanted to be a part of like the sustainable fashion movement, which was sort of just like coming to light back then. This is like 2009. And is that something that you feel has has worked its way into your work over the years or do you ever go back and find yourself looking at that statement of intent and wanting to get in touch with it or yeah I think there's there's a really like interesting thing that happens once you like kind of throw yourself into fashion because there's like theory and then there's practice right so in theory I really wanted to like push the sustainability in like my work but when I first got out there and I was like really trying to prove myself like would I like buy from fast fashion it's like yeah definitely like I, I can't say that I was in line with my my thinking right away. But the one thing that I feel like I really like held on to and like something that I really love and like is really in line with my aesthetic is 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 vintage. Like I've always had an affinity for like the history of clothing. So where possible in a lot of my editorials, you'll see like vintage historical pieces in there. I try to like always like go for really interesting thrifted pieces like a lot of my clients really love to wear thrifted clothing and vintage clothing and I really I like to push that I think that's a, a definitely a big part of how I style so that's one thing that I've I really kept you know you're obviously seeing a move now towards sustainability in the fashion industry and I really want to like continue working on that I'm not perfect I, I you know I'm definitely like learning as I go so you know one step at a time I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, my next question here was going to be, how do you think that New York shaped your approach to fashion? But I think that obviously like New York is so well known for its incredible thrift shops and flea markets and that kind of like DIY punk aesthetic that's been so deeply rooted in in like the passing down of garments over time. So I think that that kind of answers that question. Mm-hmm. You know, you could have stayed in New York presumably and pursued a career in the fabled New York fashion scene. Was there a reason that you wanted to come back to Toronto and and try to do it here instead? Yeah. So if I can just like quickly go back to the reason, reason why like New York was really monumental and like shaping my career is because I got hired as a fashion assistant for Interview Magazine. And I don't know if you're familiar with the publication, but like Andy Warhol started it in the 70s. The iconic Interview Magazine. Yes. And (laughs) yeah, and for me, it like just represented everything that I really cared about in fashion, like the history, the stories, the way that style is influenced by, you know, music and film and art. And that was like a constant source of inspiration for me. So when I, I was able to sort of like get my footing and like understand fashion from that level, like when the first time I ever like stepped onto an editorial set is when I knew I wanted to be a stylist. Do you remember what that first set was? Yeah. I'd love to hear about oh, that. Oh yeah, yeah. That was with um at interview. And I was still like a little assistant trying to like get onto every single set that I could. And then finally like was able to to work on set with Carl Templer. And he was the creative director at the time. Um, he's pretty well known in the industry as like a big stylist, creative director. Yeah. And it's funny because at the time 
I didn't know who these people were at all. Like it could have been anybody on set. And I was just like, so happy to be there. and like, so excited to be on set. And I was really like paying attention to everything from like the way he put clothes together and like the looks that he paired with this and the accessories and the props and all the gowns and the music. And it was just like enthralled. I was just enthralled by it all. So, um, but like being on set that day, I knew that I wanted to be a part of like that world, you know, being able to create like a, a beautiful story with clothes. Like I wanted to be a, a part of it. So I would say that like being in New York, like just like lit a fire under my ass. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> like if you can keep up in New York, you can like do okay everywhere else. Right. That's what Jay-Z said. Yeah, of course. So <laughs> what was, uh, what was the prompt then to bring you back to Toronto? Okay. Well, the short answer for that is that I ran out of money. <laughs> New York has a tendency to <laughs> to create that problem for people. Honestly, and like I was pretty fortunate. Like my parents were able to support me throughout my education. But th- by the time that I was, you know, finished school, I, I was 25, which I guess doesn't seem so young. But like in my immature mind, I was like very bad with money. Of course, I look back at that and I'm like, oh, you know, I could have been a bit better. But I was a different person back then. And I, you know, I did what made sense to me in that moment. And I think it's easy for people to look back and say like, you know, damn, I wish I did this or I wish I did that differently. But to be honest, where I am today is, is because of all those collective decisions and choices that I, you know, made leading up to this point. You know, we look, of course, at your, at your career now, and it's, it's following an incredible path. So I think that obviously the choice, whether or not you knew it was the right choice at the time, it worked out for you. So to kind of like continue the story, then you got back to Toronto. Mm -hmm eventually ending up with uh, professional representation through an agency. Yeah. I just wanted to talk a little bit about that, how that came about and how that helped your career in those early days. When I moved back to Toronto a year after my degree, I literally just like called up a styling agency in the city because I still, like I said, had that fire in me when I, when I moved home, I was like ready to start. That New York fire. Yeah. That New York fire. So, and I just, I called them up and I asked if I can just join their assistant roster. And honestly, like the the first month that I ever worked, I think I made like $150. But, <laughs> but eventually... But you were getting on sets and you were meeting people, I assume. Exactly. You know what? In the end, like people just started giving me a chance. Like stylists started hiring me and giving me a, an opportunity to work with them. And then the work kept coming, you know, slowly, granted, but it was enough to give me a, a foundation to build off of. And I just... I just paid attention to everything that they did from like how they, the stylist like sourced a look to conducting a fitting, you know, like how they directed models on set, even like how they managed a budget. I just like took notes, you know, I, I asked questions and I worked with everyone and I, I said yes to everything. So having that agency backing like sort of early on in my career, I think like that really opened the doors to you know, just a network of people and opportunities that I don't think I would have otherwise had. And I think that this is probably a good point to interject our (laughs) personal history here. This right here is probably (laughs) about the time when you and I became neighbors. Yeah! There was a two-year stint here where I was working in advertising and you had just moved downtown to pursue your work with, with the agency, which is awesome because you actually, you know, for me, you were the first person that I ever met probably that worked in the fashion industry. This is like before I'd ever met Shane and before Vitaly had come into my life. Yeah. And it was so interesting to me because it was this form of creativity that seemed 
compared to advertising, at least pure in a way, like it had this artfulness to it that I wasn't experiencing in advertising. Yeah. Um, that I that I really appreciated, and I think it kind of set me up for what came next in my career, which is obviously joining Vitaly. And I think you were part of shaping me into the fashion conscious person, not necessarily in how I dress or anything, but as I'm certainly not fashion conscious in that way. Yes, you are. But, um, you know, caring about presentation of fashion as, as an art form almost. Yeah. So it's cool to come full circle, obviously on this podcast, but I'd love to go back in time just a little bit more. So you're working fashion editorial, mm-hmm. uh, work, you've got representation and then you start to take on celebrity clients. You started working with Sean Mendes as stylist. Then you started taking on your own clients like mm-hmm. Ali X, Alan Raymond. And most recently, you've been doing some incredible work with Jesse Reyes. Yeah. So I just wanted to know how that transition happened. It was a really easy transition for me to go from fashion to music because historically, those two things are, you know, kind of go hand in hand. There's always a, a style icon, a musical style icon, and every genre of music had like a sort of uniform that went with it. So there was always a look that defined a musician. And for someone who personally like loves telling stories with clothes, I think there was just no better way to see that you know, come alive than with an artist who has their own unique personal style. So that's sort of how I transitioned. And I haven't given up fashion, but it's really nice to be able to work with musicians. You always have to consider like their ethos, like their spirit and their attitude and their personality and sound. So those those are always working together at one time. So you have to sort of make that come alive for them. It, it kind of leads me to, to my next thought, which was this idea that like when you sign up to work with an artist such as Jesse Reyes, who has this already very well-defined personal style, you know, you can picture her right away in her messy bun, her oversized tee and her cutoffs. Very iconic. And to try and change that would be almost blasphemous, (laughs) but you also want to help that artist grow because that's what you're there to do. And you're there to, to style them and make them look as good as they can. So can you tell us a little bit about your approach to working with an artist that already has such a well-defined aesthetic? How, how do you build within that world for them? I mean, for people who are, are like familiar with my work, you would know that like I'm a little bit quirky and eclectic in my styling. And I like to create stories that are imaginative and a little out there. However, on like a personal level, I feel like I'm sort of that like anti-style stylist, you know, like Alan Raymond and Jesse Reyes. Like, I feel like I'm pretty super laid back and minimal myself. So on in that sense, I feel like I'm on their level and I get why they want to live in like an oversized hoodie or a t-shirt because that's all I want to wear too. Ultimately, you're not there to change them. You're, you're there to build on a foundation that's already been laid, you know? So if you like scroll back far enough on like Jessie's Instagram or her early days on like YouTube, you'll see her in those double XL tees and, and chucks. And it's the exact same as today. And the same goes for Alan. Like he's always been this sort of like really effortlessly cool guy who loves flannel tees and a, and a vintage boot cut Levi. <laughs> they, they have a formula that works for them. And I respect that. And I'm just here to facilitate like their vision, you know, and at the same time, I try to deliver something like new and fresh for them. You know, obviously, you've done a lot of press um, and publicity appearances for Jesse and also worked with Tiffany, Sean Mendes' stylist for, for many years doing press and publicity for Sean. So when Jesse just went to the Grammys, you obviously had to take a very different approach than what you would do for something like a live performance, let's say. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, how you split that difference and like, how do you work in Jessie's personal brand when she has to wear a ball gown, for example? The first thing is, is that 
you have to plan so far in advance when it comes to like pulling for certain events. Obviously, the one of the biggest things when you're working with a celebrity kind is to make sure that person feels comfortable. So you need to like always bring options. So many options. Like if I have to style them for one red carpet look, I need like 40 looks on their eyes. <laughs> right. You have no idea how they're feeling that day or what mood they're in. And if they're down to be experimental, if they want to stick to what they like, you just, you have to like lay out the room. Like it's a boutique where appropriate. I sometimes like to introduce my clients to brands or looks that push themselves outside of their comfort zones a bit. I'll never take it from like zero to a hundred. We'll always make it small steps, like maybe like zero to two. <laughs> um, and then we'll just continue to build on that. So for example, like when it comes to Jessie, sometimes like she, she completely surprises me and I'll just like get a text from her saying, you know, like, I love this Vivian Westwood piece or this, you know, Versace dress is fire and my eyes just light up. I'm like, okay, girl, <laughs> like, let's go, let's do right. it. And like, I remember- It's not a t-shirt. Yeah, it's not a t-shirt. Like she's, she gives me a lot of creative freedom to sort of like experiment and try new things where it's appropriate. And I think that's all that you can ask for when you're- you know, a stylist. Um, but joking aside, I think that the main thing is, is of course their music and you definitely have to respect that. So anytime I'm, I'm making a creative decision on an outfit, I'm always keeping that in mind because that is the most important thing in the end. Right. And I mean, of course, with the music, there's also often the visuals that go along with it. So the music videos, and I know that you've been on more music videos than most people I know. That's for sure. Can you tell us about some of like your favorite experiences on music videos? The one that comes to mind immediately is the period piece that you did for Jesse, with <laughs> Jesse ending up, uh, spoiler alert, but being burned alive at a funeral pyre. Yeah. Tell us about how you brought like a historical approach to that. That was the first time I ever met Jesse, actually. It was on that music video. So that's an intense first meeting. Oh, I know. It was crazy. But that was also the first look I ever had to put Jesse in that I was very, very nervous about because not only have I not met her before, but I'm not putting her in something she's used to wearing. So yeah, it's completely of, different than anything she's ever worn, for sure. When it comes to music videos, you have a treatment that the director sends you. And of course, they have their vision. But that also has to be in line with what the client wants. So normally, the client or the artist will like take a look through and make changes where necessary. So you're playing this balancing act between what the director wants and what the client wants. You know, if at first they're not aligned, you have to be able to figure out a way to like align it and bring it to life. And I would say that's probably like the most challenging part. I think so much of it must come down to the trust that you build with that artist though. Yeah, right? uh, absolutely. Like at the end of the day, this is for them. This is their vision. This is their album that they're building. And you're just there to like, yeah, bring their vision to life. So you recently moved to London, England, which is, you know, very far away from Toronto, obviously, to start the next chapter of your career. But I know that before you settled on London, you went to Europe and you surveyed a bunch of the fashion scenes in different European cities like Barcelona, Milan, and Berlin. I just was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what you've experienced in the London fashion scene that made you decide to settle there. Okay, well, I'll just start with saying like my reasons for not going to the other cities. Because uh, <laughs> those are very significant reasons. Um, yeah, of course. When I... It's funny because like I, I I come from an Italian background. My mother was born in Italy, so I immediately was like, I'm gonna go move to Milan and like speak Italian and drink wine and eat so many carbs and just like live my fashion life in Milan. And that was like initially like my go-to place. But I'm not gonna talk any smack about 
you know, Italy, because it holds such a big place in my heart. But I would say in Milan, it felt sort of like this, like members only club. And I just got the the vibe that like, unless you knew someone or you were already in the running to become like the next editor in chief or, you know, VP of a company or whatever publication that there, there was really no place for you. <laughs> So right. that was my initial thought. And and then when it came to Barcelona, it was beautiful. Like it was, people were really willing to speak with me and meet with me, but I felt that it was a bit too commercial. Is that because of Zara? Yeah. Like a lot big, of the big fast fashion brands yeah, are exactly. headquartered there, right? Exactly. So, but that just, that wasn't really for me. And then Berlin, I would say I was like pretty conflicted about because I think I really could have thrived there, but it was really dark, but incredibly like inclusive and they really pushed boundaries in their fashion. But honestly, like here in London, the energy, it was just like so palpable. Plus like I, I banged a British bloke, so it kind of made sense. <laughs> <laughs> you know? That was a good selling feature for sure. <laughs> yeah. So it just kind of made sense after a while. Yeah. I remember you coming home from London after the first time and you'd just gone to a few of the big department stores like Suffrages and stuff and you mm-hmm. were just so enamored with all of these up and coming brands that we just don't have here that you'd never heard of. Um, just yeah. finding and discovering all of this creativity in the fashion scene. Yeah. You know, it's, it's obviously just like New York, a really fabled fashion city. So not surprised that that was where you ended up settling. Yes, I was very excited about about moving over and just getting a chance to like dip my toes into the European market. So what are some of the biggest differences then that you've noticed between, you know, working for years in Toronto and now, you know, the first few months, obviously coronavirus has <laughs> made it a bit more difficult, I assume, for you to, to be working in the London scene. But from the few months before all of this went down, mm-hmm. what, like what were your kind of initial impressions? Um, okay, so from like a jobs standpoint, I would say that we're we're very commercial in, in Toronto. So that's like the bread and butter of a very small and saturated market. So the opportunity, I think, to like make money in fashion is quite honestly, like very limited to select few. I would say when it comes to, to London, the biggest difference is that this has kind of always been a place where discovering and like helping bring new talent to the surface has kind of been like their number one thing. Like here you have like the British Fashion Council, you have One Granary, Fashion East. These are just like a few of the organizations that push and support new emerging talent. And there's also money behind it. Right Now, to be fair, I'm like starting to see Toronto come up more and more often. And like, we're finally having this hunger. We want to like be seen and we want to stand among like other fashion cities And I think that's really nice to see, like, there is so much talent there, you know, but I don't think that there's often, like I said, like the the money behind it or the support that we need to kind of help Toronto, you know, artists like kind of make it in, in the international scene. I think also that there's just perhaps less in Toronto, you know, there's just less brands, there's less photographers, there's less stylists. Yes. Yeah. So for example, like, I think what's really special about London and why I gravitated towards it. Straight up, I'm like a little fish in a big sea here, but I can appreciate a city that has industry leaders and people who like give us newbies a chance. You know, the main difference here is if you're cool and creative, if you have good taste, you can make it. You don't need to have an Instagram following. Like it's not about a popularity contest here. 
That's right, that's right, truly right. like what I love about it. I, I've mentioned that to you before. Like I always talk about that. There's just like plenty of of opportunities and there's room to grow. And Toronto has potential to do that because there is amazing talent in Toronto. And it's just, you know, it's ready. No, I, I definitely agree. And I'm starting to see more brands pop up every day and I'm, I'm trying to meet with as many of those young creatives as I can. You know, there's programs like what the XO crew is doing with House obviously comes to mind right away in terms of like incubating and nurturing that fresh creative talent. And a lot of those people have their own brands and their own fashion labels. And there's a lot of incredible work and it's so new to a city like this. But I think that somewhere like London, obviously, it's so well established that there's always that like revolving door almost of new yeah. talent coming in. You talked about New York lighting a fire under your ass that's, earlier. And I think that is. a yeah. place like London does the same thing because there's just so much new talent coming onto the scene every single day. And we haven't really had that in Toronto. And I'm starting to notice it now. But I think that like, you know, maybe our time is coming. And I, I hope that the one thing that Toronto and London do share from like a fashion perspective is that we really care about emerging designers. Like we do right. care about the SP Badus, you know, of, yep. of Toronto, the people who are not afraid to do like the high low approach or making streetwear. Yeah, they become the local heroes, right? Because they stand yeah, for something different. Absolutely. When there are so few brands actually taking a stand to create something unique, it really mm-hmm. stands out. And you mentioned SP Badu, and like I think it comes to mind to probably anybody when you say emerging Toronto fashion brands or even Canadian fashion brands, yeah. Spencer and his crew has has done such an incredible job of drawing a line in the sand of what people might expect from Canadian fashion. And it's eye-catching because there's not really anybody else doing yeah. it. Yeah, and, and to that point, I think it's really nice, um, a really nice thing about coming from like a, a city like Toronto. Even though it's not a small town, it still has this like small town vibe like from a global perspective because our creative community is really tight-knit. And so you end up working or being on set or producing really cool projects with your friends and people who support you. And, you know, the way everyone connects and sort of works together is just, it, it, it feels more organic than some of maybe like the bigger fashion capitals. And I really like that. Like I said earlier, like the cities, I think right now, or you mentioned that it's going through this Renaissance period, I guess. And like the, the talent finally has a platform to be seen and heard, Yep. you know, and your people, your community, they're all there rooting for you. That's what I really love about Toronto. It's homey. It is. It's intimate. It is. So, you know, before we wrap up, I'd, I'd love to hear just a little bit about what you're doing to keep yourself sane, creative, and inspired during COVID-19 and, and the, the self-isolation you know, lockdown that we're all experiencing right now. I'm, I'm just so interested in what other creative people are doing when, you know, your main job obviously is mm-hmm. being incredibly close to people, touching people all day, making them change clothes right in front of you. That intimacy obviously has been lost from your job, unfortunately. So yeah. what are you doing to uh, to keep yourself sharp and, and keep yourself interested in your future? Yeah, I think, I think like everyone who's going through this right now, there's like a lot of sense of uncertainty. And, you know, who I don't know how long this is going to last or how it's going to affect my career in the long term. But aside from that, I, I'm, I'm using this time to kind of rethink my own business model. Like, of course, there are days where I wake up and I just don't want to do anything. And I just want to chill and like binge watch, you know, television shows. And I, I'm really not trying to like get too ahead of myself and just deal with the information that's in front of me. So what can I control? Like, how can I utilize the skills that I have and like bring them 
to a more digitally driven or digitally focused world. Because the reality is the work that I do requires me to be touching people, gathering in in large groups or whatnot. So if that ends up being reduced to, uh, you know, a small percentage of my job, then what's the other, you know, 80% of my work going to look like going forward? So I'm just trying to like, yeah, (laughs) emails. A lot of emails. (laughs) Yeah, like in the end, I think, I think it's just like trying to, to look at how can I utilize like my skill set now? Like how can I rethink my business model so that my my career is sort of like fail safe, you know? It's it's a, it's a scary thing to think about. I think that after this, the the period of like sadness or isolation when things have like really changed for us, like we come out of this and we're like, okay, we fashion can be that escape. I hope it comes back to that. I think it will, but I think there also needs to be like a lot of like big changes in the industry if we're going to move forward and come out of this. Like we kind of have to have an overhaul and there's no reason why fashion can't be like comforting and also mindful at the same time. We just, we just need better and more innovative solutions to get there. And I, I think we can get there for sure. That's a, a perfect ending point, Steph. I want to thank you so, so <laughs> much for taking the time all the way from London to join us for this podcast. Um, we wish you all the best, obviously, and we hope you stay safe out there. Thank you. uh, Thank you too, Zach. It was so nice getting a chance to to chat with you. So thanks so much. Okay. Take care, Steph. Bye.